there's plenty to talk about if you look back and just rewind to, I mean, some of the neighborhoods we lived in early on in Miami, and you look at these opportunities don't don't come across the table uh, to the majority of the people that um, that grew up like that. Started off with Tyler Bischoff from ESPN Radio. I'm not just saying this so I can sound like a cool coach that's so dedicated to his football program. I do not know who's playing the World Series. <laughs> But I think a lot of coaches say that so they can be like, I don't leave my office. But who is playing, actually? I do not know. The Las Vegas Journal Review. That jersey on Peyton's looking pal. a little tighter than I remember. Yeah, 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 okay. What's happening okay. over there? Right. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Game one of the World Series is tonight, even if Lane Kiffin has no idea who is playing in it. <laughs> Astros and the Braves. Fromber Valdez against Charlie Morton. I believe that. That he doesn't I, have any I idea. believe they're so tunnel vision, those guys. And I mean, do you think do you think Saban knows? I, I believe they're so tunnel vision to their own weird teams and film and the next practice, everything. I don't I don't believe that they that they really know. They've probably heard of the teams in the playoffs, but in terms of uh how much you know, how much they really know about who's who who advanced, I totally believe that. Could Nick Saban Name an Atlanta Brave. No, he doesn't play nope. golf. You can name Justin Thomas. The interesting part about the Braves is they are far and away the most popular team in about six states right there. Louisiana, Arkansas, right, Mississippi, right. Alabama, Georgia. Most popular team name a by player? far. Can you name a player? <gasps> like Freddie Freeman's been there a long time. Yeah, this might been be in Atlanta a long there. time. Face of the franchise type player. That's the only one I think he could name. Rest of them, I don't think he has a shot. He's not naming Charlie Morton. It's true. It's true they're close enough and they're popular enough throughout that region that maybe he does seem like he's a huge golf fan. You know, there's been Alabama guys, obviously, the one on the tour. So yeah, he's best friends with some of them because he actually plays with them. Baseball? I don't know. He might be able to. He I, might be able to. I just imagine him walking like down the tunnel at the st- stadium and talking to a security guard, and he's, the security guard's like, "Yeah, did you see what Freeman did last night?" And he's like, "Yeah, totally." No clue. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's probably worried that he didn't he didn't scout Freeman on the other team. Like, hold on a second, <laughs> hold on a second. A and M has Freeman. Who the hell's that? What number Who's is he? Freeman. What, who's Freeman? All right. So I have a strategy question for you that relates to Dave Roberts over here. Yeah, uh, Dave Roberts over here. So there was a story in The Athletic that was basically looking at using starting pitchers in relief in the postseason. Uh, maybe one of the most famous ones was Madison Bumgarner coming back to pitch game seven on what was it, two days rest and closed out game seven. But we saw this year both teams that lost in the uh, LCS. Alex Cora used Nathan Avaldi in relief of game four. Nathan Avaldi gave up what ended up being the game-winning run. Dave Roberts used Julio Urias in relief in Game 2. Urias gave up the game-tying mm. runs. Both then went on to start a couple of days later, and both teams ended up losing those games. Though Avaldi didn't exactly pitch that poorly. You also had Max Scherzer, who was used in relief in Game 5 to close out the San Francisco Giants, ended up not being able to start Game 6 of the NLCS because he said he had a dead arm. So what do you make of managers using starters in the bullpen? You know what I make, given how it worked out. I don't make a bunch of it at all. Um, I think it depends on how it works out, really, for opinions. If it works out, you probably think it's great. If it doesn't, you rip Dave Roberts. Um, 
The Kershaw no, quote. You read. <laughs> yes, I think you're going to read the Kershaw quote because I think he wanted to take a shot at his manager, but he came off it in the end, right? Kershaw the said, "There's a cost to everything. I think in order to have the best success in the postseason, you have to try to keep guy keep guys as much in their roles as you possibly can." Now, with that said, sometimes you have no other choice and you have to win the game. I think balancing that as much as you can no. is really important. I was trying to be nice to his manager. I do think he's taking a shot. I at, do think he is too. At Dave Roberts. The first part, of, first part of that quote, he took a shot yeah, at. Yeah, keep guys in their roles as much as possible. Right. Pitching Urias in was stupid. the eighth inning of game two is not in his role. So, okay. Part of what I love about postseason baseball is like bullpen and pitching management because you get to do weird stuff. Pitchers get starting pitchers get yanked much earlier, right? You struggle in the second inning, get the yeah. hell out of here. Right? So I, I'm fascinated by that. You're always going to have starters in the bullpen, but they're starters that didn't like make the postseason rotation. Like the Astros, for example, Zach Greinke has been pitching out of the bullpen. Jake Odorizzi has been pitching out of the bullpen. Those are two guys that they, they didn't yeah, make. Not, they're not starting. Right. They were not. They were starters right. in the regular right. season, exactly. but in the postseason, the Astros had better starters right. and said, these are our starters for the postseason. That's going to happen. The Astros won game seven of the ALCS in 2017 and the World Series by using tandem starters. They pitched two starters, didn't even use a single reliever in either, either of those games. That's going to happen. But using guys in the postseason rotation out of the bullpen, I think there's only two instances where you would do it. And the first one is like final couple of games of the season of the series, I guess. If it's game six, game seven, and the guy you're pitching is not going to make another start, then sure, absolutely. So you had, Bring you had no problem with Max Scherzer coming in five to close no, it out? No, because you still, because here, here's the key you are managing to win the World Series. So say against the Giants, you're managing to win that game. Right. But you also have to manage to win the next win four against the Braves. Against the Braves. So no, if it's the final of the World Series, then yes. If it's Game oh, Six, yeah. Game Seven of the World sure. Series, no doubt. Or if you're facing elimination and you're losing, or what? Like you've got to find a way to do it. Then in that case, the other scenario where I would be okay with it is if your bullpen is just brutal. Like if you somehow made the postseason and your bullpen's just not any good, then sure, go for it. Dodgers aren't in that scenario. No. Dodgers had a great no. bullpen. Probably had the best they had 30% bullpen. 30% bullpen right. games the entire year once Bauer right. went out. So using Scherzer there, using Urias there made no sense for the Dodgers because you've Their got bullpen is good fine. relief pitchers. Right. And it's hard to make the argument that Urias or Scherzer on short rest pitching in a role they've never done is significantly better than Trinan or Joe Kelly or whoever the hell else Canable was available. Or whoever. Right. It's hard to make that argument. Now, Alex Cora's bullpen with Boston wasn't very good. He really only had like two arms that he thought was any good. So his makes a little bit more sense to go to Nathan Avaldi, but still, I don't think you do it unless it is the end of the World Series or your bullpen is so bad you just don't think you can get any outs from them. Do you agree with uh, James Click where he says we're in, we're not in the data stage because you're Mr. Analytics? So is there enough evidence right now? Is there enough proof that you can say one way or the other it's good or bad? To not have Scherzer, to not have Urias have to put, put in those situations. So he's right that we don't, there's not enough info. There haven't been enough appearances of starters who come and throw like one inning and then come back two days later and start again. He's right in that, that there's not enough data to really make a good decision, but there's probably never going to be enough data because it. it how many times is it going to happen? Right. It happened twice this postseason. Right. So if it happens twice every postseason, are you going to feel comfortable after 20 years when you have 40 examples? Right. That's still a small sample right. size. And 
with how much baseball changes, it, the way the game is played in 20 years will be significantly different. So he's right that there's not really enough data, but it's an area where there will probably never be enough data. So you're going to have to make decisions, even though there's not enough data to really drive that decision. So yes, he's right. But at the same time, that's you're never going to get that data to make the decisions anyways. Well, and you also hear these things about, and it's just not the same, like, Oh, he can give us an inning. This is his throw day to compare throwing on the side two hours before a game and then putting on your uniform and sitting there too. Max, you need to go to the bullpen because we might need you to close out game five in a high-pressured, intense situation. I always laugh at that. I, I always laugh, well, it's his throw day. You know how different it is from being in the game to his throw day? It's your throw day. Get in there. The winning runs on yeah, second. Yeah, exactly. The winning runs on second. <laughs> I know this is your throw day, and you didn't get to toss the ball around two hours before the game. We're going to have you go in and try to strike this guy out on a check swing that really wasn't a check swing. The I know you mentioned it already, but genuinely – Watching that 2014 World Series where they brought in Madison Bumgarner, everyone I knew who was a Royals fan went, oh, yeah, no, we we just lost. Like, they could have, instead of putting him on the mound, they could have put him on a folding chair in front of the Royals, like, dugout, and the Royals would have gone, uh-oh. <laughs> we can't hit. So, like, if that, if the experience of, like, if you have one pitcher that the other team is just, like... Yeah, they look scared when he's up there on the mound. Like Scherzer? If that's the case, right. yeah. Then, yeah, you. I think it's a bold strategy. but Right, but the problem is even with Scherzer, he couldn't pitch in the NLCS. Right. Like you ruin, the, you're, you ruin your chances of winning the NL, right. NLCS by using him in the NLDS when you, I think Joe Kelly was the guy that was still available. Yes. You could yes. have gone to Joe Kelly, who was, what, he had like a 1-8 yeah, ERA or something? Right. like. Go to Joe Kelly, right? Like, it wouldn't have been as big of an issue. Now, let me complain about something here. Home plate umpires for the World Series. They've been announced. We know who's going to umpire every game. 99 umpires this year in Major League Baseball. Uh, Umpscorecard.com breaks them all down by accuracy. Of the seven umpires, they're going to be behind the plate for the World Series. Only one was in the top 20 this year, Chris Conroy, and he He's was tonight. 19th. He's game one. Only two were in the top 40. Dan Bellino ranked 25th. Uh, he'll do game five. Mike Muchlinski, 46th. He'll do game six. Alfonso Marquez, the 47th best home plate umpire, will be in charge of game seven. And those aren't even the worst because Tom Hallion is going to have game three he was the 78th best umpire <laughs> of 99. Ted Barrett will have game five. He was the 86th best umpire. And Ron Culpa will have game two out of 99 umpires. Ron Culpa ranked 98th in accuracy. He'll be behind the plate for game two of the World Series. What the hell are we doing in this sport? I've got, I've got to retweet this. This is amazing. Not only do we have... Not only do we have robots and computers that can tell us the strike zone, that can tell us whether a pitch is a strike or a ball to a 99.9% accuracy. We also have humans that are better at it than the umpires they picked for the World Series, and they didn't pick those humans. They picked the 98th of 99. <laughs> Where's the cowboy? I retired? I don't know, but he's better than most I of think these the guys. Cowboy, this was his last year. How can't you throw the Cowboy game? Well, he is better than most of these guys. Where's Big Angel? Because they mean, were probably ranked too high. Well, Angel might be 99. 
I am. I can't. How? <laughs> how, is, we... how? How do you do culpa? Come on, ninety-eight and a ninety-nine. How? It's, Who's evaluating? It's because well, they don't do it's, it in uh, baseball. Uh, they don't do it on that. They don't have like a. They don't grade them and then make that the postseason ro- or roster of umpires. They just whatever it is, seniority or whatever the hell they do. Oh, it they is don't, seniority. Yeah, <laughs> the Cowboys should have a game. They should. But like uh, in other sports, I, as far as I know, they grade the referees. Or yes, the, and absolutely. Then when you get to the postseason, the usually, best ones call the game. Yeah, the highest graded ones are there. In baseball, they don't do that. They don't. I don't even think they grade them in baseball. This is this is a third party that uses MLB's tracking data to grade them. This isn't the umpires' union that's grading them. It's it's a disaster. Like how do we have? I, I don't know. How do we have three guys that weren't even in the top seventy calling home calling balls and strikes in the World Series? I mean, I'm excited that six and seven guys are ranked 46th and 47th. Is this just baseball medieval thinking? Well, yeah, we know they haven't been good all season, but they're due. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're due. They're due. due Ron, Col- Ron Culpa is due for a good game. It's uh, it's incredible. I don't. I, I mean, don't he get it. he technically can get worse by one spot. Man, we could have picked somebody worse <laughs> than Ron Culpa. It's it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. That this happened. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, all right. I do want to ask you this, Ed. In the postseason, what team do you think received the most favorable calls from home plate umpires on balls and strikes? All the teams? In the postseason, yes. Well, you're setting me up to say the Dodgers. It was the Dodgers. <laughs> I know. Uh, they were uh, benefited by three runs. In the postseason, by home, it was really umpires. the only runs they scored. Actually, so <laughs> I don't. E- I didn't even know they scored three runs the entire yeah, postseason. The guy had the money line, or no, he had the run line. <laughs> so here's- on the flip side, the Braves were hurt the most, minus two point seven. Astros were hurt the third worst, minus one point six in the postseason. Let's see. Let's see. Let's do. Let's do a regular season here. Ooh, Dodgers were negative in the regular season. Oh Pumps yeah, well. hated them. Where negative six point three runs? Please tell me the Giants were number one in that category. Oh, good question. Uh, they were not number one. That's for sure. No, they were worse. They were minus ten. Then the Dodgers? Yeah, minus ten on the season. Detroit and Baltimore got hosed the most at minus seventeen. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and let us know who deserves a higher grade. Bischoff's Briefs. When life gives you lemons, don't make lemonade. Make life take the lemons back. Bischoff's Briefs. Get mad! I don't want your damn lemons! What am I supposed to do with these? Bischoff's Briefs. Demand to see life's manager. Bischoff's Briefs. Do you know who I am? I'm the man who's going to burn your house down with the lemons. Who's ready for some goalie stats? Robin Leonard. Has he been a good goalie this year? Yes. Oh, is that a question? Yeah. I thought you were going to give us stats. You think he's? I will. But you think I think he's, he's been actually been a good goalie this year. I think he's been a good goalie. Comparative. Eh, he's been comparative. Eh, we'll get to the comparison here in a second. Uh, Sixty-three goalies have played this year. Leonard ranks thirty-sixth okay. in save percentage. He ranks thirty-eighth in goals saved above average. Uh, when you adjust for minutes played, he is uh, per sixty minutes minus point one nine goals saved above average. So overall, this year. Robin Leonard, slightly below average goalie. Five games, small sample size. 
this is going to play out over the course of the season. He should be fine. Um, what is interesting, though, is that uh, before the season started, I said quite a few times, hey, average goaltending for the Golden Knights in the regular season, that'll be enough to win the division. Uh, it's going to be more important than the playoffs that they get good goaltending, but winning the division with average goaltending is possible. Obviously, they're getting about average goaltending and they're losing a lot because these skaters <laughs> in front of Robin Leonard are not very good. And that's where we have some interesting numbers because Robin Leonard has faced 3.34 expected goals per 60 minutes. That is the sixth most in the NHL. For comparison, last year, the Golden Knights allowed 2.4 expected goals per 60 minutes. So they are allowing expected goals-wise nearly a full goal more per game. Last year, Robin Leonard faced 7.8 high danger shots per game. This season... He's facing 10.7, almost three more high danger shots per game. Uh, total shots, Leonard faced 26 uh, per 60 minutes last year. He's facing 34 per 60 minutes this year. So Robin Leonard is facing more shots, more high danger chances, and the result is they have given up a lot of goals. But overall... Robin Leonard's been pretty average. And when you have an average goalie behind what has been a bad defensive team, you're not going to get very good results. That's exactly what we've seen from the Golden Knights. Now, a fun comparison. Oh, uh, here we go. Marc-Andre Fleury might be the worst goalie in the NHL yeah. this year. Uh, again, small sample size. We're talking four or five games here. A lot of time to correct this, and it should. But Marc-Andre Fleury has an 839 save percentage. 8-3-9. Of the 63 goalies to play this season, he is ranked 61st in worst save percentage. And one of the goalies below him has only played one game in like seven minutes. Um, his goals saved above average per 60 minutes also ranks 61st. Uh, his goals saved above average per 60 minutes is minus two and a half. That means every game, Flurry is giving up two and a half goals more than the average NHL goalie. That is horrific. Like, that is an awful number to have. Um, again, small sample size. Flurry's not going to be this bad the entirety of the season. But what's interesting is the narrative out there is that, well, the Blackhawks suck. And the Blackhawks are basically right. hanging Flurry narrative out is there, his The defense in front of yeah. him is brutal. Blackhawks are not very good. Not at all. But... Compare them to the Golden Knights. Uh, total shots, they're giving up about a shot and a half more per game than the Golden Knights. So pretty similar there in terms of total shots. But the Blackhawks are not giving up the high danger chances that Vegas is. Vegas allowing 10.7 high danger chances per game. Uh, Flurry is only facing 8.3. So he's getting basically two and a half less in terms of high danger shots per game. And last year, Flurry with the Golden Knights faced 7.5 high danger shots per game. So he's only facing a few more high danger shots than he was last season. Again, small sample size, but so far, Robin Leonard's not really playing well this season, but he's playing much better than Marc-Andre Fleury, and Leonard's had a worse team in front of him so far this year than Marc-Andre Fleury. Don't tell the fans that. Fleury's been awful, like genuinely awful. If he stays awful because he has been that... (sighs) What does this do in your mind to affect the legacy? Because people, his Hall of Fame kind of candidacy, uh, 
The more and more I've read about it and asked, like 50-50, maybe 60-40 after winning the Vesna. Uh, but it, I, I've read very few other than local people that says it's a slam dunk that he would make it. Let's just say he's completely awful the whole year. I think that actually hurts him a lot. Okay. If that's the last vision we see, his contract's up, and if he plays like this, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure someone would bring him in somewhere, but not at $7 million a year. I know that. Didn't seem to hurt Jason Wittens. <laughs> yeah, but he wouldn't help kids. <laughs> Marc-Andre Fleury is going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, how? And it's because of longevity and compiling. Oh, so the same as Jason Witten. Right. Like, that. that's the end of the day what it is. Mark, the reason Marc-Andre Fleury never won a Vesna wasn't because he ever got robbed. Like, you go back and look through his seasons. You, There was never a no, year No, better where, people won it. Right. There was never a year where Marc-Andre Fleury was, like, the best goalie right. in the NHL and just didn't win it. He was never even a finalist until he got to Vegas. He has been an above-average goalie for a really long time in the NHL. He's gonna make the stand. He's gonna make the Hall of Fame because he has a bunch of great career milestone type numbers, right? Like because he's played for so long, he's got a bunch of counting stats, good numbers. Has he ever been like a top five goalie for a stretch of four or five years? No, he hasn't. Like he has been an above average goalie his entire career. The question is, you know, how valuable is that? I personally think it's just fine. I think being an above average goalie for twenty years. If you're above average at your sport, at your positions in your sport for 20 years, I think that's worthy of a Hall of Fame career. If you're able to do it for that long, I think that's worthwhile because we have a lot, we have a lot of guys who are great for five years and that's all you get out of them. To be good for 20, I think that's perfectly fine. I'd put Frank Gore in the Hall of Fame too. I have no problem with it. I'm I was I think the question is more like, you know, perception wise legacy was if he's this bad, I agree with you, it's got to even out somewhat. I mean, if he's this bad, he's not going to be playing very much. I, mean, I think it's, I think it's done. I think perception wise, his career's done. Like he can't ruin it because he's old. It'll be, Oh, he's playing for a bad team. Vegas screwed him. Right, like, of right. course that's, that that's already the narrative, right? You'll explain that away as to why he had one bad season at the end there. Now, I don't even know if he should have won the Vesna if you ask Kucherov. Probably shouldn't have. That, day yeah. guy, yeah. that guy in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Total BS. That if, guy in Vegas. If Kucherov is in charge of the Hall of Fame, Flurry will not, not make it. Not make I, it. He, won't even know, he won't even know his name. It'll be, is that the guy in Vegas? I'll put a quick caveat on my Flurry's a guaranteed Hall of Famer. If <laughs> Kucherov somehow cut, takes control here, that guy in Vegas is not <laughs> getting not a bust. Hall of Fame. Although it would be funny if he got a bust and it just said that guy in is Vegas. Is that guy in Vegas without not his, even name, his on name it? It would be pretty fun. Oh. Coming up next, Duke Rittenhouse joins us to break down UNLV and Nevada. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Two of the top teams in the NFL face off in a primetime matchup to kick off your NFL Week 8. Aaron Rodgers will lead his Green Bay Packers into the desert to take on Kyler Murray at his undefeated Arizona Cardinals. This game could go a long way to determine who gets home field advantage in the playoffs. A dream matchup is on tap, but for this dream, make sure you are wide awake and tuned into Cofield and Company from 2 to 5, and then listen in to all the gridiron action Thursday starting at 5 on ESPN Las Vegas. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. Joining us now from the Reno Gazette Journal is Duke Rittenhouse. All right, Duke, is there anything about UNLV that Nevada actually seems to be worried about? 
Uh, yeah, actually, you know, um, I'll twist that around a little bit. Jay Norvell has a saying that, that his guys aren't good enough to overlook anyone, if, you know, if that makes sense. So they're, they wouldn't overlook UNLV. They would not overlook, you know, the Utah teacher's school for the deaf or whatever. I mean, they, they just, they're not, they're not good enough to overlook anyone. And I think there's some, um, if you follow it at all, you see that, that UNLV is starting to close that gap. I mean, these, these are not the blowouts from last season. They're the, the last three or four have been pretty good. So yeah, there's, there's respect there. Is there respect from the fans? Because, you know, look, forever and ever, the narrative is they care more up there. Uh, they want to win more up there. Uh, it's, it's sort of been kind of what the headlines have been for, for, for so long. I assume it's still that way. Do the fans look past UNLV? Do they laugh at UNLV? Uh, a little bit of each. Um, I mean, it's just a really want-to-win type situation. And then, you know, if you're a fan and, and you follow your team for so many years and you've seen them, you know, like fumble and throw the ball to the other guys and all that, then there's that worry that gets in your head. You know, we're, gonna, we're a 20-point favorite and we're going to somehow, you know, lose to UNLV. It's that kind of fan syndrome. So there's a little bit of that. The game does mean a lot up here. Um, there's only two. Really, you could have a two-game season up here. You could play Boise State and you could play UNLV, and that would be your two-game season, um, and and that would be okay. Everyone else is a little bit, um, you know, a little bit on a level below that. So, um, yeah, really important up here. Has there been any conversation or any change about how they're going to have like security? Given that the last game that ended there had you know a fight on the field and a fight between players and fans in the stands. Uh, nothing that I've heard yet. Um, I have a call out. On that, um, <clears throat> I would imagine, you know, they have the option to bring in, you know, all kinds of, of extra security, and it would probably be a good idea. The, um, the only change I can think about, and, and this might sound dumb, but I think it's actually better, the, the student section is now on the south side, and, and that's where the brawl was last time. And you might think, well, oh, that's even worse. But actually, a lot of the students are, are kind of into the game, and, and they just have fun. The, the brawl from two years ago, if, if you were to go back and replay it, there's some Sadly, there's some adults that are getting involved in that, um, and they will be they will be elsewhere in the stadium. Um, the south side is more of the band and the students now. It's supposed to be the idea is supposed to be more collegiate. Okay, um, this... so you know that that'll be a little bit different. That's not to say a you know a fight couldn't break out somewhere else on the field, but um, yeah, there'll be. I would imagine some extra security. I actually hope to write a short story on that a little bit later today. So not that they did this specifically because of the last game between these two schools in Reno, but I love the idea that, well, we'll stop the fights by moving the students to where the fights happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and, and if it is a, a, a blowout either way, if the score gets out of hand, sometimes they tend to leave in the third quarter anyway, so there would be no one to brawl with. I mean, there would be, you'd look up there and there'd be like 12 students. So, um, so far, I like it. I think it's a good change. I think it is more collegiate. Uh, maybe you guys can you'll give me your opinion when you see it. I just like the idea that because we had a videographer, uh, Cassie, get hit in the head with a bottle last time. Not that I want her to get hit again, but I like the idea of looking <laughs> the stands. It's like some sixty-five-year-old guy holding another bottle. Like as you said, it's not always the students just chucking things. I mean, it's how often do the uh, do the adults kind of uh, take the kids' way in this? Uh, you know, it's not. It, it's actually not bad at all. Although the you know, through the years, the, the sad incidents um, have been UNLV and Boise State, the incidents with people on the field or things on the field um, that shouldn't be on the field. And, you know, it's, it's always those two. Um, and, and that's, 
that's unfortunate. And honestly, you know, again, to give the kids a break, it's, it's the adults, it's the guys in cargo shorts, you know, that are, that are getting too involved basically. Uh, so this UNLV team defensively, they've, they've been a lot better this year than last year. And even compared to some of the previous years under Tony Sanchez, they've been pretty solid on that side. It's mostly been the run defense that's held up. Their secondary is still not very good. And when they don't get pressure, they get burned down the field. So when you look at this, when you look at Carson strong, who seems to be throwing it a hundred times every game, like, is there anything that you see that would slow down Carson strong and Romeo dubs? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it is, it is maybe a, a, a two way thing of strength versus weakness because, um, Nevada is still looking to establish any sort of run game. And, and so, although Carson and, and Romeo dubs had a great game last week, you know, if you shut down the run game, then he does have to drop back 61 times and, you know, God bless him. I'm not sure that works every time. You know, I mean, that's, that's eventually, I, I, I don't think that's the recipe they want. Nevada would love to run closer to 50% of the time, and, and they're just not. They're, they're not effective. Um, and I'll tell you, if you're UNLV, I think the one thing you notice from the Fresno State game is that the Bulldogs were sometimes rushing only three and still getting to Carson Strong and getting to him pretty effectively. So, you know, where was the run blocking for Nevada? Where was where was keeping Carson's uniform clean? It, it just didn't exist. And so if, you, if you're the Rebels, maybe you really want to um, put as much pressure on him as you can. You know he's not super mobile. And so keep, keep the pressure up, and then that'll help your secondary in theory. Uh, Carson, Romeo, Cole Turner, these are all good players, but they're not invincible. Um, so I think if I'm the Rebels, I, I rush a lot. Uh he see because when guys play really really young, they seem like they've been around a lot longer than they have. Um, he's listed as a junior in terms of strong. Is that the COVID year back? I mean, how long do you think he'll stay? Yeah, he gets. I think he could have even two more after this one. I'd really have to look that up. He didn't. Uh, he did redshirt. He got into one game as a true freshman. That was a clear redshirt. He gets the COVID year back. Um, so athletically, yeah, he's a junior. So his full season. You know, have, this is his third full season, right? Um, but essentially, you're going to get five with the COVID year, um, and with Carson, of course. You know, you throw in the the will he, won't he of of the draft, and and people, you know, love his draft stock. So, you know, this could be it. But and he does. He, I remember interviewing him when I barely never heard of him, and and thought, you know, this is an interesting kid for a guy who's never seen the field. You know, but he had that. I don't know if you guys remember, two years ago he was thrown again, in against Purdue. You know, as right, a, right. here's your first game. He had won the starting job and was thrown in against Purdue. So here's a, you know, here's a guy who debuted against the Big Ten. So, yeah, he does seem like one of those guys, you know, you've been writing about forever and, you know, how old is this kid or whatever. Um, but, no, with, with all the goofiness, yeah, he's only athletically a junior. I don't know if he would get some sort of like promise or assurance, but how high do you think in the draft he would have to be projected to go for him to leave? I, you know, he's pretty cagey about that. I, I think, I think um, if knowledgeable people told him first round, I, I don't see how he could stay. Um, you know, he, he, he is interested in that, uh, you know, um, high second round or even like, Hey, you know, Carson, whatever, you're not very mobile, you know, we're, we're thinking third round, then maybe, maybe he comes back. But, you know, I don't know if too many human beings who, you know, if you get a person telling you you're that good, you're, you're a first round NFL guy. 
um, you know, the desire to do that, the temptation, I mean, it's just human, you know, okay, well, I'm going to go do this. I won't even have to go to class anymore. You know, I, I can, I can just go, you know, make money and, and be at the top of my profession. That would be hard to, to, to pass up. You know, what's funny is he's all, he's all over the place in these projections. I, I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, I, and you guys will have to, you know, let me know what you think, but, but I think he's, uh, I, I, he's talented and a work in progress to me. So he, you know, he, um, still misses some throws. He's not very mobile. I'm, I'm a bit of a cynic. I mean, I see these guys all the time, you know, so I'm, I'm a bit, you know, I'm going to grade them down a little bit, but, um, yeah, no, there's no, there's no easy answer to that. I just know that if someone told me I was at the top of my profession, I'd probably <laughs> say, sure. Okay, here we go. Uh, another name that's been thrown out there is possibly leaving. I've seen him uh, listed with the Washington State job is Jay Norvell. Where does he stand? Do you think in in Nevada? How how secure is that in his mind that you know he, he's going to be there as long as he wants and he wouldn't have to go to the Pac-12? Or is this a guy who says, you know what, that seems a little enticing? Yeah, a little of each, I think. Um, you know, he loves he loves Reno, and and he'll he's grateful to to Nevada. This is his first head coaching job. Um, and he's really t- put his stamp on the program. It, it, it's taken a while, but this is really a Jay Norvell team. Um, and, you know, I know that's a bit of a cliche, and you hear that a lot, but, you know, that he got rid of, you know, some of the malcontents, and it, it took a while, and, you know, they're bigger and faster. They're, 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 they're a, they are a reflection of Jay, and that's taken, you know, five years to do. Um, you know, on the other hand, yes, he's being mentioned uh, I saw him mentioned for the Texas Tech thing the other day, mm-hmm. you know, more or less, because he spent a, a, a season in Texas. Um, and he, I think he's going to be mentioned for anything else that, that comes up. I think people are impressed. You know, Nevada was Nevada was floundering under Brian Pullian. It was just, you know, six and six, five and seven, team with no personality whatsoever. And, and he's really turned that around, Jay has. And um, I think he is going to be mentioned for every opening. Um, you know, Nevada's going to have to, in a way, come up with some money. And, and the school historically has not been very good at that. Um, there's been, you know, Steve Alford uh, has this unique contract just to get him to, to stick around for basketball. Um, so I don't, I don't know how that works. I mean, I think if the Pac-12, like you mentioned, Washington State comes calling, and you're, you know, Jay Norvell, who I believe is, I should probably know this, huh? He's probably 60. You, you've got to consider it. You know, and, and I wouldn't be surprised. At least basketball-wise, the pack has. You know, we're a feeder. We're a feeder for the Power Five. We're, right. we're losing, you know, Eric Musselman, and, and you know, we're losing, you know, Mark Fox before him, and, and every, you know, it, it just happens. Not so much in football yet, but I think we're about to see that. Uh, the winner of this game should they get to keep both the Cannon and UNLV slot machine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we have a towel, which isn't <laughs> the towel is the turnover towel is is a pretty big deal here. I mean, I don't know a towel. I'm not super excited about it, but um, the slot machine is great. Love it. Um, I mean, you know, from a Reno perspective, you hope it doesn't get you know more than once, maybe on Friday night. But um, I think Nevada needs to look into something maybe beyond a towel, you know, I don't know. We, we're, we have like maybe a plane, you know, like the air races, we have air races here. So it'd be like a turnover plane or something like that. But um, yeah, I, you know, I'll tell you kind of switching that a little bit. One thing I love is the the cannon though. Isn't the cannon great? I mean, just the whole, 
bring it out to practice, you know, paint it different colors. <laughs> um, you know, everyone's got a cannon story. I, I think it's uh, I think it's my favorite part of the of the rivalry. It is. It's yeah. phenomenal. Like it, you know, for you and for you, you mentioned it's a two game season for Nevada. It's it's a one game season yes. for UNLV. Yes. I mean, they, they win this game. Marcus Arroyo's got a great second season. Yeah. Doesn't matter if they go one and eleven. If he wins the cannon back. Good job, Marcus Arroyo. Well, he is Duke Rittenhouse from the Reno Gazette Journal. Duke, we appreciate your time thanks, this morning. Duke. Okay, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. A towel. <laughs> that's, the, that, that, that's like the only really thing that they have on there, right? <laughs> he delivered that. <laughs> yeah, I love oh, that. the slot machine's cool. They got a towel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh. All right. <laughs> Coming up next, we look up the Nevada turnover towel. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Afternoon Drive with a Hammer. Getting that win was probably very big for the team and for him. You don't have to tell me about being the guy following the guy. You know who I'm filling in for today, right? Oh, yeah. But, yeah where's Adam Hill? Oh, Adam Hill. <laughs> you want the God's honest truth about where Adam Hill is? Adam Hill went to the wrong studio. Now, the wrong that studio. surprise me. And now we're trying to get him back. That is so Adam. Oh, God, <laughs> that is just perfect. Cofield and Company, Drive Time Radio, Monday through Friday. Dort, low dribble, evades the defense, finds Jackson, extra pass, Kennard, one dribble, step back, corner three on the near side. Kennard got it in the foul. It's a four-point play. Right to left, Bledsoe, no look pass to the right wing, it's a three for Kennard, and he still is hot. Luke Kennard strikes again from the outside, his fifth triple of the night. Man with another steal, a five on four for the Clippers if they hurry. Man to Kennard, a right wing three for Kennard, oh yeah! You're locked in the press box. What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing with Luke Kennard highlights? <laughs> I just I was looking through one of our databases and it just was like Luke Kennard third three Luke Kennard fourth three Luke, Luke Kennard with twenty three last night and I just was like yeah. all right why would someone need this highlight I'm going to I'm taking it twenty three is not even that many he made six threes good God he literally did nothing else but shoot threes in the game <laughs> they don't need Kawhi all right. Luke Kennard, big game for the Clippers, I guess. Took I care guess. of the Blazers. <laughs> Bulls job. won again. Are the uh, are the Blazers any good? They're gonna trade. They're gonna trade Damian nah. Lillard, right? He said he didn't want to go anywhere, but well, he might not have a choice. They got to ditch him at so, some point. I'm looking on Twitter. You've already got up the slot machine versus the t- turnover. Oh yeah, towel. had to had and, to go get the pictures to tweet them out. I mean. I don't know. The turnover towel looks like they just kind of threw that together. They literally just embroidered the word turnover yeah, and uh, towel onto a white yeah, towel. Onto a white towel. It's not <laughs> it's not anything really overly special. <laughs> so the story that's from was a Nevada Sportsnet story. And like they describe it as yeah, it's a it's a no frills turnover prop. Right? Like it's, it's still a prop. Right. Yeah. And that's like, what's the point of having a fun sideline prop if it's gonna be no fun? So does the kid who intercept the ball get to wear it? I don't know. No, he just dabs his he, he just dabs, dabs his face with it or something. Everybody like else that? has to deal with sweat in their eyes, but if you get the turnover, <laughs> you, you can, can wipe, you your, wipe your sweat, sweat away. Your face. It's so bad. The slot machine's very cool. We okay, in this state, we might have the best and the worst sideline yes. props in college football. Yeah, because others well, 
Did UNLV have the turnover chain? No, that, no. That Tony my... Sanchez had a Chucky doll. Tony Sanchez's last year, he introduced the Chucky doll. Okay, who has the chain? That's, that's Miami. Miami. That's they, the first, like right. the first okay. one. Miami. Well, it's was... also the Padres hitting a home run. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot yeah. thirty out. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man! <laughs> Put that on. You're more. out too. <laughs> Put that out more. <laughs> Roger head, Machado. Uh, All right, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Just because I want to hear you say it, give me a prediction for who wins the World Series. Oh, the that. Astros in six. In yeah, because, six. Because I want you to be able to go to a game to see your team. You're going to go to six and seven. I don't think the Braves are good enough to get it at seven. It might end in five, but I think the Astros win. I'll just say in six. I would. I mean, I also kind of want you to go to a game, but I definitely think it's it's not close. It could be over before then. I think it's five. Yeah. I think it's a gentleman's sweep. Yeah. I mean, if Charlie Morton's and he, Charlie Morton's been good in the postseason, but if that's the best guy they're going with. Can't, they, Game one the starter can't, World can't series, series. Charlie Morton. Yeah. Hey, Charlie Morton. I mean, good. no, he's good in the postseason. Oh, yeah. But I mean, no, it's just a five or six. Have you figured out six yet? What? My tickets? Yeah. No, also, here's what I'm doing I'm tracking ticket prices. Right. So right now, the cheapest ticket for game six is $620. Was that up from yesterday? Yeah, it's gone up 30 bucks. Uh, but the good news for me is that game one ticket prices, because game one is tonight, have fallen over 200 bucks in 48 hours. So, so you're hoping that happens? Basically, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep paying attention to ticket prices, see how low they go for game one, because today is game one. If they keep going in this direction, then I'm just going to wait until the day of game six and buy and my tickets buy three hours before the game. Right. Because like right now, so the cheapest ticket for game one is $385. Cheapest ticket for game six is six twenty. Okay, but if they can clinch on six, do you think it'll drop that much? Uh yeah, I think it'll drop. Yeah, I, I think it will. Because right, yeah, because here's the thing that all the ticket prices have been dropping for games one and two and all three games in Atlanta. Because in Atlanta, the first people that list their tickets, the cheapest were eleven hundred dollars for game three. It's uh, already down to nine hundred okay. something now. So I think ticket prices are gonna drop because People are going to get up to, you know, three hours before the game starts. And, oh, nobody's bought my tickets for. And that's the thing. These are standing room only tickets. 620 is a standing that's room standing only. Standing room only. You'd have yeah. to be standing. Yeah. I mean, there's there's seats for like 670 or something like right. that. So not that much more. But, yeah, people are going to be like, oh, nobody wants to buy my standing room only tickets for $620. I better start dropping prices. Are you, because I'm not, in a home where this thing comes around and there's no questions asked? What do you mean? With your girlfriend. What, to me going to Yeah, this? like, no, there's no questions asked. And, uh, you know, it's 670 bucks. And Oh, yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, she's fine with or it. Or game seven she, also. Yeah, she she's literally, fine with it. She's like, yeah, I guess he'll sell a horse. What? I don't know. Yeah, she's I mean, fine with it. She's, okay. She's fine. Yeah, she's okay. not. Because I could imagine me saying the tickets are $670. Yeah. And she'd be like, you know what, though? Tropical smoothies, 10 bucks. We're going to go there for you. And then we're going to go in front of the couch with the big TV. And you're going to watch that game because you enjoy tropical smoothie. And you can watch the game on television. Yeah, so no, she wasn't bothered by it. Now she's not going. No, she's not. Yeah, she's going by. She myself. wasn't that interested in it. No, she doesn't like baseball. So she's kept saying like, "Well, I should go with you. I don't want you to be alone there." And I'm like, "You don't like baseball. We're gonna have to buy you a plane ticket. We're gonna double the cost of buying tickets. Like yeah. it's just stupid. Just I'll go. Be 48 hours, and hopefully I watch my team win a World <sighs> Series. It'll be fun. Better gonna, house than mine. Gonna do the show from Clean Feed too. It'll be exciting." <laughs>